Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. I once preached a sermon out of the New Testament chapter that we're going to be reading momentarily, and I will never forget it because it was probably one of the two worst sermons I ever preached. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, which is the part of our journey together where we read through every word of God's revelation of himself Monday through Saturday, his mind in print, and consider our own lives in light of that. Today's program is brought to you by listeners who are kind enough to pray and offer up some grace. <laughs> you see, I didn't have much time to prep for today's episode, so it'll be a bit of you and me keeping the foundation intact, which is that we read conversationally first, if nothing else. And one reminder for all of us, even after that lousy sermon that I preached, someone came up who thought it was wonderful. It was their first time at their church, at the church, and they assumed I was the pastor. And uh, no, I was just a fill-in and a lousy one at that. Remember that your words, my friends, however ineloquent, might be awful, but God's word doesn't return void. That said, let's get to our New Testament segment, Luke chapter 11. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because, give him anything because he is his friend, yet, because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm going to pause right there. That's a great line, an important line. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? So, it doesn't. it's not a promise to give you that midlife crisis red sports car <laughs> right but but he wants to give you the most important thing there you go now he was driving out a demon that was mute and when the demon came out the man who had been mute spoke 
and the crowds were amazed, but some of them said, He drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For I say, for you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons that he trusted in, and he divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Before I continue, just remember this. If you didn't catch Sunday's little lesson of the dots, remember this line. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Go listen to Sunday's uh, shorty little reflection called The Lesson of the Dots. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest. And not finding rest, it then says, well, I'll go back to the house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. As he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the the one, one who nursed you. And he said, Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. As the crowds were increasing, he began saying, This generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became... I'm going to just say two things before I read this little chunk. Remember, the sign of Jonah was him speaking about his resurrection, right? So people demanding a sign and people who are gawkers, right? Remember, the miracle isn't the point. The miracle is the pointer. And that's true for us, particularly since we live after the resurrection. But remember this other thing, too. Um, In the context of just using this story, Jesus is affirming the truth of the Jonah story. So don't let somebody tell you, oh, well, you know, I believe Jesus, but, you know, I don't take that Jonah swallowed by the whale kind of stuff. That's just not being faithful to your Bible. All right, here's Jesus. This generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket but they put it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. 
Your eye is the lamp of the body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. And when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. And my friends, that gets us up through verse 36. And starting tomorrow, we're going to hear Jesus like doing that seven woes passage, you know, kind of seriously getting in the business of the Pharisees. Uh, I'm going to save that for tomorrow because that's a good thing to, to just reflect on. And because chapter 11 is another long one and we're going to turn back to our Old Testament segment now. Um, I found this in uh, the New Bible Commentary. Peter John Naylor points out that in this next section that you and I are going to read here in the book of Numbers is, an, is a spiritual analogy. You're going to hear about some festivals, but I want you to just kind of hear them differently. He writes, Passover, which commemorates deliverance from Egypt and death, corresponds with Christ's crucifixion. The festival of weeks or Pentecost, the day of first fruits, corresponds with the sending of the Holy Spirit and the first fruits of the gospel harvest in Acts chapter 2. And finally, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Festival of Tabernacles, whichever it is, corresponds with Christ's second coming at the close of the age, marking the end of the harvest. So I know sometimes this Old Testament stuff seems kind of weird and, you know, we got, you know, we're just like, oh, what's all this mean? Well, look for the patterns of goodness, truth, and beauty, which emanate from God's very nature and character. And we will see things like the crucifixion, the sending of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus' return in stories like this. Numbers, chapter 29. The Festival of Trumpets Offerings. You are to hold a sacred assembly in the seventh month. On the first day of the month, you are not to do any daily work. This will be a day of trumpet blasts for you. Offer a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One young bull, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, all unblemished, with their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts with the bull and four quarts with the ram, two quarts with each of the seven male lambs. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for yourselves. These are in addition to the monthly and regular burnt offerings with their prescribed grain offerings and drink offerings. They are a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Offerings for the Day of Atonement. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the tenth day of this seventh month and practice self-denial. Do not do any work. Present a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, one young bull, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, all your animals are to be unblemished. Their grain offering is to be of fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts with the bull, four with the ram, two with the seven lamb, two with each of the seven lambs. Offer one male goat for the sin offering. A regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offerings are in addition to the sin offering of atonement. Offerings for the festival of shelters, which might be also tents or tabernacles. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the 15th day of the seventh month. You are not to do any daily work. You are to celebrate a seven-day festival for the Lord. Present a burnt offering, a food offering, a 
pleasing aroma to the Lord. 13 young bulls, two rams, and 14 male lambs a year old. They are to be unblemished, and their grain offering is to be a f- of fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts with each of the 13 bulls, four quarts with each of the two rams, two, two quarts with each of the 14 lambs. Also, offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain and drink offerings. On the second day, present 12 young bulls, two rams, and 14 male lambs a year old, all unblemished, with their grain and drink offerings for the bulls, rams, lambs, and in proportion to their number. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain and drink and their drink offerings. On the third day, you see where this is going? On the third day, present 11 bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all unblemished, etc., etc. Exactly the same. We read every word, but when it repeats exactly the same thing, I think it's okay to say, to do verbally what you and I might do visually, which is to go, oh, that says the same thing. That says the same thing. So on the fourth day, 10 bulls. On the fifth day, nine bulls. Uh, On the sixth day, eight bulls. On the seventh day, Seven bulls on the eighth day. Oh, a little different. Here we go. On the eighth day, you are to hold a solemn assembly. You are not to do any daily work. Present a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, all unblemished with their grain and drink offerings for the bulls, rams, and lambs in proportion to their number. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. And these are in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain and drink offerings. Offer these to the Lord at your appointed times in addition to your vow and free will offerings, whether burnt grain, drink, or fellowship offerings. So Moses told the Israelites everything the Lord commanded him. End of chapter 29. Before I've, we knock down chapter 30, just remember, this is the second time he's doing this, right? This is the whole new generation getting ready to cross into the promised land. All the parents and the original people that escaped to Egypt have died. So if it sounds like we're repeating ourselves, well, it's because... God thought we have short memories and needed repetition. (laughs) Chapter 30, regulations about vows. I knew this was the part you were waiting for. Moses told the leaders of the Israelite tribes, this is what the Lord has commanded. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under an obligation, he must not break his word. He must do whatever he has promised. That's the key. That sets up the rest of this because some of this gets weird. When a woman in her father's house during her youth makes a vow to the Lord or puts herself under an obligation and her father hears about her vow or the obligation she put herself under and she and he says nothing at all to her, all her vows and every obligation she put herself under are binding. But if her father prohibits her on the day he hears about it, none of her vows and none of the obligations she put herself under are binding. The Lord will release her because her father has prohibited her. But note the context there. Uh, When you make a vow, the Lord takes seriously you keeping your word. If a woman marries while her vows, if a woman marries while her vows or the rash commitment she herself made are binding, and her husband hears about it, 
Anne says nothing to her when he finds out her vows are binding and the obligations she has put herself under are binding. But if her husband prohibits her when he hears about it, he will cancel her vow that is binding or the rash commitment she made herself and the Lord will release her. Every vow a widow or a divorced woman puts herself under is binding on her. Remember that as weird as it might be to us in that culture, uh, the... The owner of the business, so to speak, would assume the financial responsibility for those who were employees. So if you're one of your employees made a contract, right? This was kind of like the CEO having veto power. But if you didn't rescind it, then you assumed that liability, even though it wasn't you as the owner of the company. Does that make sense? That might be a lame analogy because we're talking about men and women, but I hope that makes sense. Every vow a widow or divorced woman puts herself under is binding. Why? Because she's the CEO. If a woman in her husband's house has made a vow or put herself under an obligation with an oath and her husband hears about it, says nothing to her, and does not prohibit her, all her vows are binding and every obligation she put herself under is binding. But if her husband cancels them on the day he hears about it, nothing that came from her lips, whether her vows or her obligation is binding, her husband has canceled them and the Lord will release her. Her husband may confirm or cancel any vow or sworn obligation to deny herself. If her husband says nothing at all to her from day to day, he confirms all her vows and obligations, which are binding. He has confirmed them because he has said nothing to her when he heard about them. But if he cancels them after he hears about them, he will be responsible for her commitment. Oh, I got ahead of myself. There you go. Right there in the right there in the Bible. But if he cancels them after he hears about them, he will be responsible for her commitment. These are the statutes that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the relationship between a man and his wife or between a father and his daughter in his house during her youth. Chapters 29 and 30. My friends, we're going to close up with our wisdom segment today. Proverbs chapter 14, picking up in verse 5, and then I'll just close with some prayer. An honest witness does not deceive, but a dishonest witness utters lies. A mocker seeks wisdom and doesn't find it, but knowledge comes easily to the perceptive. Stay away from a foolish person. You will gain no knowledge from his speech. The sensible person's wisdom is to consider his way, but the stupidity of fools deceives them. Fools mock at making reparation, but there is good will among the upright. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no outsider shares its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Oh, and finally, here's a good one to end on. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. My friends, I'm going to read that again by way of prayer. Because it is so tempting, and I'm talking about me, let alone you. It is so tempting to trust ourselves over God and in so doing, functionally lob moral complaints at God. When the Bible says that our hearts above all things are deceitful, like Jeremiah wrote, 
Lord God, I pray, Lord, that this would sink in for us and that we would be in a place to gently and respectfully remind our brothers and sisters that there is a way that seems right to a person, but its way end is the way of death. Lord God, help us to see your light, to walk in your light, to trust you when we don't understand. Because, Lord, we know you are good. We know you are kind and patient, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We love you. And I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.